Um, so, let's have a word of prayer this morning as we get started. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God that is our guide. It is, it is what you have given to us because you love us. You want us to know who you are, to understand how you act, how you work, Lord. And even with the Word of God, it is hard at times to, to negotiate and navigate life. And we readily admit that this morning. And one of those areas where we get humbled is in the area of parenting. We, uh, we struggle. We, we don't get it right. We, we get discouraged. And Lord, we, we look around and we, we, see, we see the posts of social media and, and our friends and our acquaintances, and they have their perfect little families, and, and we easily lose sight of what it is that you've called us to. And so this morning, I pray that you would focus our minds on the Word of God, that you would, would open our hearts to receive truth, to, to, um, to be open to, to your wisdom from the Word of God this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, there are sheets back on the counter. If you did not get them, it might be helpful to you as we begin. Um, so... Um, might be helpful to you as we begin. So let me give you a couple what I call assumptions, disclaimers, and caveats here. Um, if you were coming expecting me to be the one leading a parenting ABF and expecting to get all the answers because I'm a guru, you have come to the wrong place. You might as well just go. <laughs> go down to Dave's <laughs> ABF. Um, I would not consider myself to have been an excellent parent at all. I would hope that I'm a growing parent, and I've had experience, but I do have this desire. I have a desire to help parents. Um, how many would you agree with me, it's really hard to raise kids that have children? It's really hard to raise kids. It's really hard to know, and, and, and the world is making it harder. Do you feel that way? that the world we live in is making it harder. Yeah. So one of the things I want to encourage us in is that we do have a perfect father. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We have a perfect heavenly father. And he doesn't leave us alone down here to try to figure out the hard things like parenting. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Uh, Peter, after he introduces himself and, and greets the churches there, he says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When God tells us in his word that, that he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness, does he really mean that? You sure about that? You sure? Does that mean then all things that, that help with parenting would fall under all things? Okay, so if God has given to us the help that we need, what does that imply then for us? What does that imply? It implies a couple things. Help me out. What does it imply? 
Does it imply that I've got to be submitted to it, that I've got to be willing to do what he tells me to do? Does it mean, secondly, that I've got to be willing to dig out what he tells me to do? You're not going to find a book of the Bible that's called Parenting for Dummies. How many of you wish it was there? Yeah. But what you will find in the Word of God is, is all the help that you need, all the encouragement that you need. And you say, well, does, does God know about the discipline issue that I have with this specific child, my number, my number two child, or whatever it is? God aware of what's going on with this? Is your God a loving, all-wise, heavenly Father? Did he give you that child with that specific discipline issue? Yeah, he did. And so he understands, and he's given to us in his word, everything we need for life and godliness. Disclaimer number three, there's no magic formula. If you are coming to this class right now in week one looking for the secret sauce, I don't have it. There's no secret sauce. How many of you have multiple children? Have you figured out that each one of them is different from the other one? Have you figured out that what worked for number one doesn't work for number four? Have you figured that out? If you haven't, you need to figure it out quickly. There's no magic formula. And then this is probably the one you're going to hear me repeat over and over and over and over to you. Parenting is never convenient. In fact, most of the time, it's very inconvenient. When your children are little, do they disobey at the most convenient moments? Or do they disobey on the way to church on Sunday morning? When your children get older, when, you're, when you have teenagers, do they want to talk to you when you're like at your sharpest moments, or do they want to talk to you at like 1130 at night when you are dead to the world? Parenting is never convenient. It's not easy. But it can be done by God's grace. I want to give you this challenge. Allow God's word as we go through this in this ABF to challenge your thinking. Don't allow me to challenge your thinking. Allow God's word to challenge your thinking. Okay? And then I want to take you to a weird passage of Scripture that you're like, oh man, what is that all about? Go with me to the prophet Joel. Now, if you're not sure where Joel is, it's in the parts of your Bible. Just take your Bible and hold it up. It's in the parts of your Bible that look very clean, that have never been touched. It's in the Minor Prophets, the book of Joel. And, and I, want to, I want to bring out a principle to us as we begin, because as you're turning there, how many of you would admit to me that you've blown it in your parenting? And how many of you get so discouraged at times with your parenting that you're like, I'll never get this right? How many of you believe that our God is a merciful God? Gracious, yeah. So the reason I have you turn to the prophet Joel is in Joel chapter 2, God has just been railing on his people. And, and he, has, he has pretty much said, I am going to destroy you. And in fact, I am going to destroy you so bad. I'm going to humble you so bad. And, and I'm going to just decimate you. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to send the locusts. And they're going to absolutely destroy your, your livelihood and your crops and your ability to live. But notice what God says. 
as he makes a promise to them. And, and in fact, it comes under a paragraph that in my Bible, beginning in verse 18, has this heading, the Lord had pity. The Lord had pity. Should he have pitied Israel? <laughs> from, from his point of view, should he have pitied Israel? Did they, did they deserve everything they were getting? Yes. Look at verse 25. I will restore to you the ears that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. God sent those insects to destroy their crop, and then what does he say? After, after he does that, what does he say? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore the years that they've eaten away. What does that tell you about our God? What does that tell you? Is there hope for the fact that you have failed for the last three years as a parent or for the last 20 years as a parent? Is there still hope? Yeah, there is. If there wasn't, we wouldn't do this, okay? I would just tell you to go plug in Dr. Phil or Oprah and they can tell you how to be a good parent. But no, there, there is hope and help for us. And God is a merciful God. And so, if we're not careful, our families and our children can become our idol. You know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by that? Your family, your children can become the be-all, end-all. And I am, I am going to say something here that may get me in hot water, but, but I've lived it, so I, I have the experience of this, and I've done this very thing, and, and it may seem controversial to you, but one of the dangers that I see in the homeschool movement today is, is that we have made our families idols. And I'm not saying it's wrong to homeschool. We did it. But, but what happens is we make our families this little G God and we worship our children and we do everything we can to protect our children and we do everything we can to keep our family unit untainted from the world and yet where did God put all of our families? Where did he put them? In the world. In the world. He didn't put us in communes, did he? He put us in churches. And we got to be careful. And, and then one of the dangers of having a parenting ABF is, is if we're not doing this right is, we make our families little G gods. There's only one God that is to be worshipped, right? I want to show you something that just jumped out at me last week when I was just doing some devotional reading. And go with me to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. This just kind of really just jumped out at me for a couple reasons. If you're familiar with the beginning of 1 Samuel, who, who cannot have a, a baby? Who is the one who is so upset because she cannot have a baby and she keeps showing up at the, at the temple? Do you remember? Her name is who? Hannah. Okay, and, and she, she, in fact, she's so broken over this that as she's praying there, um, Eli the priest thinks she's what? Drunk, okay? And, and she's begging God for a child, right? And at the very same moment, that what's going on here with the priesthood is not good. Eli is the high priest, and his two sons basically are acting as the de facto priest because Eli's an old dude, and he can't do his duties like he used to be able to do them. And so his two, young, two sons now have stepped in. They're acting as the priest. 
great names if you want to ever consider names for your child, Hophni and Phineas. Those are good ones, okay? If you ever have twin boys, choose those two names or not, okay? So I want you to see what God's rejection of Eli as the priest, why he does it, okay? In chapter 2, God basically tells Eli, you know what? I'm done with you being priest. I'm done with your household being a priest here anymore. And in verse 29, here's why. He said, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Do you catch that? What was the mistake that Eli made that God is holding him accountable for? He put his kids before he, before he worshiped God. Are his sons adults at this point? Are they? Yeah. This applies to parenting. For one thing, God holds him accountable for what he's doing with his adult children. That should sober us. God holds him accountable for what's happening with his adult children here. And he says, you're putting your kids before me. Okay? So let me ask you a question as we move forward here. Interact with me. What's shaped? No, don't give me answers for people that are, that are outside this room. I want answers for you. What has shaped your parenting? What has shaped your parenting? How you were parented. How many of you find yourself doing the same dumb things that you thought your dad did? Yep. What else shapes your parenting? You look around at other parents that you think have raised successful children, and so you kind of like, yeah, maybe I should do that. That's a good one. What else? What else shapes your parenting? Okay. She said the opposite of that. You look around, you see, you see bad, bad parenting is easy to spot, right? Because we're all prideful, right? Right? Bad parenting is easy to spot. And so you see what you think is bad parenting, you're like, I'm not going to do it that way, right? What else shapes your parenting? Hopefully the Bible. Okay. What else? Social media. I, I wish I could burn it all down. Young mothers, if you're on social media, you have a tremendous pressure because there is that obnoxious mom. You know the one I'm talking about. You know the obnoxious mom I'm talking about who, who, who posts pictures of her perfectly prepared meal in her perfectly clean house and her kids who are always dress matching and they're always sitting there happy. How many of you have found that to be true for more than 10 seconds in a day? Right? And it's fake for them too, yes. It is. Here's a big one that no one has mentioned, but I'm sure every single one of us has battled with it. How many of you would say fear of man has, has influenced your parenting? Yeah. More so than fear of God. Yeah. We want our children to approve what we're doing. We want people to think our children are really good people. 
How many of you have made mistakes? Okay, how many of you have, okay, yeah, I'm just going to call us all out here. How many of you have disciplined your child because they embarrassed you? You know what the root of that is? You're afraid of men. You're afraid of men. You're afraid of looking bad in front of men. And so we take it out on our kids. And we discipline them for the wrong reason. And what do our children learn in that? I'm good as long as I don't embarrass mom and dad. Right? And we've got to be careful with that. How many of you would say not just the way you were parented, but your past has influenced the way that you parent? If you have trauma in your past, will that, will that influence how you parent? Yeah, it will. So now let me ask you another heart-searching question. I want you just to think. I don't want anybody to answer out loud. We'll interact with it in just a second. If I were to say to you, what is the goal of your parenting? I want you on the piece of paper to write out, this is the goal for my parenting. My goal as a parent is... So I'm asking you to kind of narrow it down. One big overarching goal that a bunch of other things fall out from under. What are some of the goals that parents have? Successful kids. Successful defined as how, though, Jimmy? For some, it's a good job. For some, that they get an athletic scholarship. That's success. How else? Relationship with Christ? Okay. How else do we define success? Friendships, relationships with others. They're, they're able to function in the world. I put down a couple things. That, that parents have for goals for their parenting. And I would submit to you that none of these should be the ultimate goal. But I, and when I give you this list, you're all going to agree with me that these are decent goals. Number one, that they be good citizens. Is that, a good, is that a good goal? Number two, kids who love Jesus. That's a good goal, right? That's not the ultimate goal. Can you force your kids to love Jesus? Can you do anything to make your kids love Jesus? You can model Jesus to them. You could be the perfect disciplinarian if that's even possible. Can you make your child love Jesus? Who's the only one who can make them love Jesus? God's Spirit, right? Okay. How about this one? Kids who don't embarrass me. Is that a good goal? Be nice, wouldn't it? Be nice. I, I, I got bad news for you on that. I, I'm a parent of all adults now, and they still embarrass me, okay? It's not going to stop. How about this one? Kids that are popular are well thought of. Do you want your kids to be well thought of? I mean, you don't want your kids to be thought of as sociopaths, do you? How about this one? The goal for my parenting is to keep my kids from evil and harm. Is that a good goal? If you go too far with that goal, you will become 
this cloistered family that does not fulfill the Great Commission. I'm going to make a statement to you. If you are parenting today out of fear, you're doing it wrong. If you are parenting out of fear today, you're doing it wrong. Is it easy to parent out of fear, though? It is. We live in a pretty gross world. We live in a world that's not a friend to, to Christ, and it's not a friend to families who are trying to raise their kids to, to fear God, right? And it's easy to fall into the trap of, I can protect my kids, to the point of, I can protect my kids from getting sick. How many of you, been, how many of you had success with that? I can protect my kids from bad influences from other kids. So I'm just going to keep them in my house forever. The first time they come to church, they meet another church member's kid, and what happens? They're picking their nose just like the other kids do, right? So I can protect my kids. I can protect my kids from, from bad philosophy in the world. They won't have a phone until they're 18. Isn't it amazing how, how Amish kids can still find out what's going on in the world? If the Amish kids can know what's going on in the world, can you protect your children? So if our goal for parenting is to keep our kids from evil and harm, we're going to be frustrated and disappointed day after day after day after day. And we're going to feel like failures, aren't we? So let's talk about the goal of parenting, and I want to give it to you in two principles. And I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1 with me. Those of you who know the Gospels are like, Mark chapter 1, I don't think there's anything about parenting 101 in Mark chapter 1. I expected you to go to Ephesians 6, PD, and just, just pound us with Ephesians 6. Don't worry, I'll get there, okay? But let's start with Mark chapter 1. Okay? So Mark gives us these almost like bullet points of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He, he talks about Jesus being baptized quickly in verses 9 through 11. And then he talks about Jesus being tempted, where Matthew takes a big long paragraph in Matthew 4 to talk about it. Mark takes two verses to talk about it in verses 12 and 13, right? And, and then we get to verse 14. Now, after John, this is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, okay? That's important, proclaiming the gospel of God, because Mark ties two things together here. Verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, okay? And so, so Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes into Galilee, and he doesn't say, hey guys, I got this new program, I got this new teaching that's different from what you're hearing from the other rabbis, you're going to find it really cool and interesting, come follow me. He just says this, I'm preaching the gospel of God, and this is it, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're all like, when you have a kingdom, what's implied there? couple things. When you have a kingdom, there is a what? There's a king. Okay? And we know from this statement, the kingdom of God, who's king? And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here with us now. Okay? Typical Jews heard this, and what were they thinking immediately? 
This is it. It's go time. Messiah has come in terms of our political Savior, right? The, the political Savior has come. We're, Rome is about to be overthrown. This is exciting stuff here. That's not what Jesus was saying, though. Because he says this, repent and believe in the gospel. Principle number one in terms of trying to help us to understand what the goal for our parenting is, is that, is that good parents show that God's rule is good. Okay? And, and here's what I mean by that. You, you could put it another way, and it sounds a little more negative, but it's still good. Good parents model that a fear of the Lord is healthy. You see, Christ shows up, and in, in in what he says is he's proclaiming the gospel of God, and he says, believe in the gospel. What is gospel? What are the two words that sum up gospel? Good what? Good news. It's like, I'm here proclaiming good news. And here's the thing. Look up here. Does our world see God's rule as good news? Is it good news? But does our world see it that way? No, our world doesn't see it that way because our world is just like you and I were before we came to Christ, before, before we understood this. Our world is warped. There is nothing good about having God's authority over unbelievers in their minds because they see it as oppressive. They see it as limiting. They see it as, as very narrow, don't they? And so my question is, what does this have to do with parenting? And the answer, short answer is everything. It has everything to do with parenting. We have a king. And whether or not we own him as our king, we are to be submitted to that king. Are your children always going to be submitted to you in everything that you ask them to do? <laughs> no, they're not. In fact, that is one of the biggest points of frustration. You dumb kid, you're not going to win. How many of you ever feel that way? <laughs> Guess what? You and I are dumb kids who don't always submit to the ultimate authority, do we? Our kids are just reflecting what our hearts are. And so, to be and to show that God's rule is good, to demonstrate to your children that God's rule is good, is implied that you yourself have to live in what kind of way? If I want my kids, if I want my five children to understand that God's rule is good, how, should, how would you expect me to live then? Railing against God's authority, bucking God's authority, constantly rejecting God's authority, how would you counsel me to live? in a way that's submitted to God's authority and shows and demonstrates that it's, a, it's the best thing to live under God's authority. How many of you are convinced that it's best to live under God's authority and to, and to orient your life that way? Yeah. Okay. If you're convinced of it, isn't that the way you want your children to live? So now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. You've been waiting for it. Let me drop it like a hard, cold hammer this morning. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And we spend all our days as parents just railing this into our children, right? Without continuing on, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Why does God, in the, in the New Testament here, bring up Old Testament law when he's dealing with, with fathers and children here? Because he clearly brings it up. In, verses 2 and 3 are a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the what? Law. Okay, this is Ten Commandments stuff. Is, is honor your father and mother one of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, okay. Why is, why is God, why is the Holy Spirit, is, he's working through Paul, saying, you know what, one of the best parenting principles is found way back in the law here. I thought Christ came to fulfill the law, to do away with the law, right? <laughs> are we still accountable to the law? Yes, we are. Notice that he doesn't just give the commandment, though, but he gives the promise in verse 3. Okay? He gives the promise. And what he's trying to teach us is obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Now, careful with that. Don't think instant gratification like... um, like health and wealth gospel, like if you just do this, God's obligated to do that. But does obedience bring blessing? Obedience may not make you rich, right? But is the blessing of obedience that you avoid many of the pains and and total distresses of life that are out there? How many of you that have a little bit older kids have had to watch them suffer the natural consequences for their sinful behavior? How many of you have had to do that in your own life? Yeah. Obedience brings blessing, which then raises the question, what is true obedience and what does it look like? How many of you wrestle with that as a parent? What is true obedience and what does it look like? Because this is hard, and this is where parenting gets really hard. Because we can spot disobedience. How many of you can spot disobedience even when your kids are outwardly complying? How many of you can spot that disobedience? You know, uh, you know the, the, kid, the kid that says to you, I will do what you want me to do, but inside I don't like it. Right? They may not say it, but, but their body language sure displays that. Right? I didn't have any kids like that because I was a perfect parent. No. How many of you are familiar with a guy named Paul Tripp? Paul Tripp says this, and I love this. This is, this is his definition of true obedience. It's a willing submission to authority without delay, without excuse, without challenge. 
Let me say that again. It is a willing submission to authority without delay, without excuse, without challenge. Before we apply that to our children, how many of us obey our Heavenly Father that way? Let me say it again. A willing submission to authority. Does God have the right to tell us what to do? Is there, is there anybody who wants to this morning challenge God's authority? Then is it right for us to obey him without delay? Is it right for us to obey him without excuse? Is it right for us to obey him without challenge? Is that, is that right? Is that right? Okay, so if we're going to display to our kids that it's good to live under God's authority, we first have to orient our hearts that way with God, don't we? Because, because we don't want to be hypocrites as parents. I hope you don't want to be a hypocrite as parents. You have to orient your heart that way to God, okay? And then, if you're going to teach them that it's good to live under God's authority, then you have to expect that same standard from your children. And that is where parenting becomes very difficult. How many of you would rather argue with your kids than actually have to discipline them? Why? Disciplining is hard. It, no, no parent who's doing it right feels good after they've had to discipline their child, right? I'll just reason with you instead. And what we turn our children into is little lawyers. And the world needs no more lawyers. Right? How many of us are guilty unwittingly turning our children into little lawyers? Here's the thing. Our kids are sharper than we are. They may only get two hours of sleep, but they've kept us up all night so that we've got no hours of sleep, and, and they are good with their arguments. How many of you figured that out? Yeah. Obedience brings blessing. Keep going down on that list there. I put this point there. The family is the place where a person should learn to submit to authority instead of living for self. Do you agree with that statement? Is, is that what God intends for the family to be? It's the place where our children learn to live, not for themselves, but for others. Now that doesn't mean, don't, don't get me wrong, this is not some heretical, real radical, independent Baptist philosophy that our children are there to serve us. I don't hear me saying that. That's an abuse of authority, is what that is. If you think your children are here to serve you, you're getting it wrong. Your children are here to serve God, right? So here's the thing. If you want your children to learn to submit to authority instead of living for self, again, that needs to be modeled to them. How many of you have been guilty of selfish parenting? You know what I mean? You know, you know what selfish parenting is, right? Using your children as a means of gratification. Isn't that selfish parenting? Yeah. Before you ever post a picture on social media of you and your kids, make sure it's not so that you get the glory. And probably most social media would stop right there. Am I right? Let me make this statement. When we do not discipline disobedience, 
we send the message to our children that they rule the home. And is that biblical? When we choose not to discipline our children, what are we saying to our children? Who's in charge here? You. You, the child, are in charge. We could call that very simply child-centered parenting. <laughs> it, has other, it has other forms and, and, and terms today like gentle parenting and free-range parenting. Right? Now, let me be clear here. Did I say that you should abuse your children? Did I say that you should, should absolutely just torture your children? Or did I say you should correct their behavior? We'll get into it more as we go here. But when God corrects your behavior, look up here. When God corrects your behavior, does it hurt? Does it hurt? Is it a blow to your pride? Does it crush your pride when God corrects your wrong behavior? We need to take our cues from God, okay? The way that we parent sometimes means we have to bring pain into the lives of our children. I'm not just saying physical pain. If you're listening to this online, understand that I'm not angry right now with my gestures or anything like that. One of the hard parts of parenting is, is that because as we have been given this authority, a biblical God-given authority over our children, one of the parts of that authority is sometimes we have to introduce pain into the lives of our children, and that just really honestly is hard and it stinks, doesn't it? When does that start? When does that start? How many of you have had children in this room, okay? How many of you have had your, your, your toddling child, sometimes before 12 months old, Malia, look right at you and go, and even verbalize no? How many of you experienced that? If you're not beginning to deal with it, then guess what you're saying to that child, even though you don't think they understand. They understand it better than you realize. You are the center of the universe. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Right? And when you start that way when they're young, guess what? It's really hard to break the habit. And some of us have children who are 15, 16, 17 years old who all their life have been going through life like, I am the center of the universe. Conform yourself to me. Do what I tell you to do. Do my laundry. Why aren't my clothes clean, Mom? Where's my lunch? And what do we do? Oh, I'll get right on that. And what, what is the message we've sent to our children? You're the center of the universe. And what happens when they get out in the world, friends? What is the reality they find out? I am not the center of the universe. My boss thinks he's the center of the universe, <laughs> right? Right? Let me give you just a little side note here. If you don't keep your marriage a priority, your children will come in and they will steal that center of mass. Just a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine from years ago, I found out, 
And this is a stereotypical thing. This is so stereotypical. You're like, this is just, like, I've heard this, but it can't be true. It's just so stereotypical. One child, she goes off to college. Dad's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to get myself a younger girl that I love more than I love my wife. You want to know why? There's some problems in the marriage, but that little girl became a big part of the center of mass of their marriage instead of the one true God that they're supposed to worship. One of the best things you can do for your child is have a healthy marriage. One of the best things you can do for your child is, is that when both of you walk through the doors and you see each other for the first time at night, you walk right past your children, even though they are clinging to grab you and whatever, and you go plant a big smooch on each other before you even talk to your kids. Why would I say that? Children find their security in the health of their parents' marriage. Do you know that? That's where they find their security. And the family is the place where we learn to submit to authority. Every wife in this room knows that submission is hard. Am I right? Because no man is a perfect man. Yet, is it God's way? Yeah, it is. Let's flip over. We got, we got a little time, and I've got a lot more I want to cover. So principle number two is, is that we got to show that God's rule is gracious. It's good to live under God's rule, but we got to demonstrate that God's rule is gracious. If God's rule in His kingdom is really good news, is it good news for rebels? Is God's rule good news for rebels? No! What does God's rule mean for rebels? Off with your head, right? <laughs> and that's why the world rejects this. God's rule means judgment, and it means defeat for his enemies, doesn't it? That's what it means. And so what we have to do is we have to demonstrate that God is a gracious father who welcomes wayward children. We don't have much time, but go with me to Luke chapter 15. This quite possibly is my favorite account from Christ's ministry on the earth. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And what we see here is, in this text, that there is hope for wayward children. Do we not? What, what's the point of the prodigal son? Remind me, the prodigal son is the older or the younger? What is he? He's the younger, right? He's probably the baby of the family. He probably got spoiled a little bit more, right? I'm the youngest of three. I know for a fact I was spoiled more than the other two, right? And what does he do to his daddy? You remember? He comes to his dad and he says what? Give me my inheritance, which in that culture is basically saying it's not different than even our culture in this regard. I wish that you were what? Because I just want what I can get from you. What does that tell you possibly about the way that he was parented? (laughs) 
We don't know, but, it, but if, if, we were, if we were looking at a family today where, where the kid came to his dad later on and said, I just wish you were dead, I want my inheritance, would you, would you guess that maybe he had been made the center of his parents' world and it had all been about what he could get from them? Yeah. But what we see in this parable is, is that there's hope. There's hope for a rebel if he'll humble himself and understand that it's good to be under the Father's authority, right? But what we also see in this parable is, is, is that the self-righteous sons don't see the need for grace. Isn't that what we learn at the end of this parable? The self-righteous son and, and sons and daughters don't see the need for grace. They try to earn it. Notice what he says. Haven't I served you faithfully? Haven't I done all these things? It was all about the things that he had done. He didn't see the need for grace. One of the biggest mistakes that we can do as parents is not introduce the subject of grace to our kids. Our kids can never be good enough. And if all we do with our kids is just give them a list of rules and say, oh, you broke this one, you're in trouble again, and we don't introduce the fact, you know what, God gave a list of rules to me too, and I can't keep them, that's why I need grace. And grace means that I need forgiveness, and yes, you have broken this rule, and yes, there are consequences to it, but here's hope for you, there is grace to be found. Grace doesn't mean we don't hold our kids accountable. Is God going to hold us accountable? Grace means that we point them to the, the one who is the ultimate giver of grace. So, quickly, let me give you the goal of parenting. <laughs> My number one aim as a parent is to show how great it is to live under God's reign of love. Now, let me ask you this to consider this. How, how should that transform your parenting? Will that transform your parenting? It should. How many of you have ever disciplined out of anger? Yeah, like just this morning probably, right? <laughs> when we discipline out of anger, are we demonstrating that it's good to live under God's authority? Or are we demonstrating that God is an angry God? Now, will God get angry with sin and judge it completely? But aren't you glad that God isn't angry with your sin right now? Hmm. Look at that reason right there and go back and view your goal of parenting. Go back, flip a page over, and go back and view your goal of parenting. How do those two line up? How do those two line up? You say, well, PD, there's nothing about salvation in your purpose statement there or your goal. And I would submit to you, yes, there is. If you and I as parents can demonstrate to our kids that it's good to live under God's authority, there is going to be a better readiness in their minds to submit to His rule and reign in their life, is it not? And I would say to you again and remind you, can you save your children? Is there anybody in this room that can save their children? There's only one Savior and He's King Jesus, right? 
And we better demonstrate to our children that he is a good and wise and all-loving king who always gets it right. And even sometimes we have to humble ourselves as parents and say, you know what? Bobby, Billy, Joey, Susie, I just blew that. I just blew that. Would you please forgive me? And you know what that demonstrates to our kids? Because King Jesus is the ultimate, (laughs) I need him just as much as you do. So let me give you an assignment in the form of four questions. Consider when you have replaced parental authority with negotiation. How many of you have been guilty of negotiating with your kids? And and some of you have trained some of your children to be really good negotiators, haven't you? Number two, when when have I replaced God-given parental authority with my selfish authority? You know what that means, don't you? All authority can be abused, right? Just look no further than government, right? (laughs) All authority can be abused, right? When we use authority to serve ourselves, are we abusing the authority? If you only discipline your children whenever they, whenever they make your life inconvenient, guess what? You're abusing your authority. Number three, typo. Do I allow my children to obey without, not Della, but delay? with excuse or with challenge, and how is that harming them? That's the question I want you to consider. How is allowing your children to disobey with delay, with excuse or challenge, how is it harming them in terms of how you're preparing them to live under God's authority? And then, obviously, the answer to the fourth question is, obviously, my home is Christ-centered, right? Which is why I put the second question there. Does my parenting reflect that? Now, do that with a Joel 2 mindset. None of us are going to get those questions all right. I know that. But does God have the ability to restore the years eaten away by the locust church? He does. He does. Okay. Questions or thoughts before we wrap up here? Questions or thoughts? Okay. Father... Thank you for your word. We desire to be parents that, that treasure Jesus in our own hearts, that, that, that long to be under his authority and to, and to respond well to his authority so that our children will do so as well. Lord, make these things to be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.